0: Hello there, once again, interplanetary travelers, finders of stars, listeners of podcasts, and welcome to another episode of Tom Talks. Today I'm joined by Adam, as always, and everyone's favorite, increasingly tall Verthani, voice of Felino Murana, the one and only, Josh Richards. How are you gentle fellows doing today?
1: Oh, you know, feeling it, getting ready for high storms and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, we've got some uh particularly nasty weather coming to this uh southern Gulf of Mexico-based region here. So that's yeah.
2: what this uh, Tom Talks is about, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, we're talking yeah, about weather. weather for real. Yep. We decided to just commit to it and actually do a weather Tom Talks. Right.
0: <laughs> I mean, it is wild though. It's literally like two tropical storm potential hurricanes like coming into the Gulf at the same time. It's like the perfect storm. The perfect yeah. storm. Perfect storms, plural. Well, they will become one if they... they I saw I saw a meme of... It was the uh, fusions from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> it's like two characters uh, photoshopped over the two tropical storms about to do the fusion, huh?
2: Oh, God. Oh, Lord. All right. <laughs> well, to answer your original question, I'm doing well. Uh, Good. Happy to be here. Happy to actually be on another Tom Talks. It's been a minute. Yeah. It had. Well, what- it
0: had, in fact, been a minute. Uh, and Glad I'm happy to have, to have, you, have back. you back. Yeah. 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 I am, uh, I'd have to say I'm taking the good with the bad. Um, I'm, you know, in the back part of celebrating my birthday weekend. So that's nice. Um, went today to my aunt's house and she made me some gumbo and a, a German chocolate cake from scratch. She's got a little business on the side where she makes delicious cakes. So that was awesome. But. I started the weekend off by having to go to urgent care and getting a boot for my swollen, strained, whatever Achilles tendon. And I'm going to have to go to a specialist next week. So, you know, as I said, taking the good with the bad. Well,
1: one step at a time, <clears throat> one excruciating, painful step at a exactly,
2: time. Exactly. I'm pretty sure that's just like getting old, you know? Eh.
0: It still yeah. sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, no, it's, I'm not saying it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make me feel better, Josh. <laughs> uh, no, but you're you're probably not wrong. So we decided to have Josh on today first, as we said, because it's been a while, but also because today we're going to be going over a new book from Paizo for the Starfinder game system, one that we thought was right in Josh's wheelhouse, considering his interest in both real and imaginary flying machines. It's called the Starship Operations Manual, and it adds a whole buttload of new features for starships. So, I'm going to level with you guys. I have not had the time to read this bad boy cover to cover like I usually at least attempt to do with a new Starfinder book.
1: You haven't read it cover to cover? Right. Right, right.
0: I know, I know. I didn't do my due diligence. So, I'm going to need you guys to help me through this thing. And in that spirit, we had the idea of breaking the book down into its four major chapters. And each one of us will guide us through one of the chapters. And we'll just kind of round robin shoot the shit about the other chapter. Sound good? Sounds Sounds great. great All right. So quite appropriately, I think. Josh, would you like to start off the meat of this Tom Talks and tell us about chapter one?
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, chapter one is starting out with all the new crap. That they've added when you're building a starship, new weapons, new armor, new drives. There's there's a ton of stuff. So in the interest of time, I've kind of distilled some of my favorite things from this massive list of things or stuff and uh, figured start out uh, the same order the book goes with uh, new weapon properties.
0: Okay, always excited for that.
2: Yeah. So uh, probably the coolest in my mind is the addition of anchoring weapons. Now, they're super short range, but it shoots a like, super massive chain and ties you to, like, tethers you to another ship. And once tethered, you can actually board the enemy ship.
0: Right, and that's that's going to be a focus of the chapter I go over, and, and something I'm really excited about as well is the, the new boarding mechanics.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, there's also- uh, new Dude, bus- the
1: boarding mechanics are so cool. sorry (laughs) i cheated and i read some of josh's chapter (laughs) no
0: (laughs) well i didn't say you couldn't read any i just want you to handle your chapter you know got it yeah the uh other one though is uh, the buster weapons
2: so i would imagine a lot of the people that listen to us have uh played the halo games and it's, it's always prudent to carry an energy weapon and a kinetic weapon right so blast through shields and then follow up with you know hurting armor flesh whatever uh, this basically is like an energy weapon that deals damage to, or does extra damage to shields, but barely does any damage to the hull. So it'll eat away the shields. I believe that it hits as well as the ones next to it.
1: Yeah, dude, that is that is really slick. It's like just smash through the shields mm-hmm. when you're just like fuck these shields, dude.
2: And on top of that, if you get hit by one of these. The DC for diverting power to the shields for the engineer on his next turn to try and replenish them is
0: increased by five.
2: So it makes it much harder to bring them
0: back. Oh, man. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Like early combat. Like you start a starship combat right out the gate, busting their shields up and making it to where they can't restore them. That's that's really good. Exactly.
2: Um, Let's see. Another one's uh, intimidating. Uh, Allows the captain to perform a taunt against a ship that's already been taunted. Or gives a plus two circumstance bonus if that enemy hasn't been taunted yet. So you, you try it, you fail, and you hit them with a big gun, you can try it again. Um, okay. All right. And then the last one, uh, it's one of my favorites. Actually, probably my favorite out of all of these are pod-mounted weapons. So you can have a weapon mounted on the exterior of the ship with its own power supply. So it doesn't take away from the PCU of the ship that it's mounted on, right? Um, but if the quadrant that it's mounted on takes hull damage, the pod weapon is wrecked. And if that quadrant takes critical damage, the pod is destroyed, the ammo explodes, and depending on how many rounds are left in it, it does minimum damage per round to your own ship. So, like, all the ammo blows up and just completely screws you. Oh,
1: shit.
0: (laughs) Wait, wait, maybe... uh Am I, am I confused? Wait, this is something you fire at another ship and attach to theirs? or No. So I'm, it's, I'm it's, confused.
2: So think like a, a weapon pod that like attaches to the outside of the ship, right? And it's got its own ammo. It's self-contained. It has its own power supply. But if it gets blown up, then all the ammo that's sitting inside that pod detonates as well.
1: Like, you, the risk-reward is that you don't have to use any of your power to supply it. You know, like, you're literally just attaching a self-contained weapon onto an arc you know it powers itself it, it fires itself all that kind of stuff right doesn't it fire itself uh, with a minor ship crew action
2: that's uh something else that i was going to get to it doesn't fire itself but uh there are automated weapons or you can increase the build point cost of a weapon to make it automated to where it'll do its own thing but that's entirely separate from a pod
1: weapon. okay so like but the pod so it really then it just takes away from your power drain right it's like the, the bonus it's like the risk to have, of
2: detonate if it's a missile or you know a, yeah. a limited fire weapon yeah.
1: you put a nuke there on the outside of your protected hole and shield exactly and it gets hit yeah that's a problem yeah, that, just,
0: that just sounds like too much risk for the reward to me i don't think i would want to use pod mounted weapons well
1: like let's say you're let's say you're you're b- doing a campaign where you're playing a goblin crew you know like that's the type of shit that a goblin would Ship would put, you know, they'd just, attack, they'd find like some turret that got blasted off, drifting in space, and they'd just tape it, <laughs> duct tape it to the outside of their ship. Yeah. You know. or, or if it's a smaller ship that
2: doesn't really have much of a power, uh, you know, doesn't have much of a generator for itself, you know, like a little fighter or something, slap some pods on their weapon pods to be able to actually
1: have good firepower, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I, I can see that. I feel like I would still avoid it.
1: Well, I think that some, there, uh, you know, reading through that chapter, it seems like there's, um, they put a lot of options in there to help flesh out the reality of a world that has starships in them. You know, so like if you're building an attack ship or a ship that's in combat all the time, you know, you're certainly not going to take some of the options that's presented. But what it does is it gives the the GM some tools to, like, flavor ships. You know, you could, like, I could see throwing a really, really high-tier ship at a party, but having that, like, weak point pod weapon as, like, kind of a puzzle to find out during the... Okay. The, you know what I mean? And, like, like, shit, we can't get through, but, damn, if we hit these, these you know, four different pod whip weapons attached, you know, it's the Luke Skywalker thing, man. Like, you just got to fire the perfect shot, destroying <laughs> the entire ship, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can see that being fun as a, as a tool for a GM to use, for sure. Or, or like, you know, uh, uh, speaking to your kind of mention of, of the, the realities of, of a universe with starships, like, not all starships are combat starships. So if right. you had, like, a, a transport ship or something like that, or a, a smaller vessel, uh, like Josh said, you could slap a pod weapon on it. Just to, to have some guns, it, more even for the intimidation factor than necessarily well, for real combat.
1: Gosh. I and mean, we're going to, you know, we'll get into this, I guess, when we get to my chapter, but my chapter seeps throughout this whole book. Cause now I'm thinking of like, okay, well, maybe your ship crashed onto a planet. You know, you don't have much choice. You know, like you, you got your power has to go towards keeping your life support. Systems oh, yeah. alive, but mm-hmm. you need some sort of defense as because you're, you know, there's all sorts of cool things that you can do. It just, this book, it just expands the rule set. Therefore the lore, therefore the stories you can tell, you know, it's really, really neat. Like it's all sorts of great, like inspirational little jumping off points throughout the book.
0: Right. And I think, uh, in particular, this book, uh, i don't i hesitate to say what it's good for it's good for lots of things but to me what stood out is that it helps provide starfinder with that like sci-fi grandiose like flesh out the the fact that this is such a large and spread out universe that is dictated by a system of starships and and really sets itself aside from a, a fantasy game like a, a you know a pathfinder or, or something like that and and really hammers home the sci-fi separation of this kind mm-hmm. of system yeah mm-hmm. well
2: and on that note with sci-fi uh i'm gonna go back real quick there's only one well two of the new interstellar drives i wanted to talk about first okay. and foremost is the hell drive well first of all
1: wait what interstellar drives you gotta like okay so they're basically set like, that yeah. up a okay, little bit fine.
2: alternates uh, they're alternative to uh drift travel or uh you know, different types of like ways of getting around long distances in the well, the material plane.
0: Right. right. You, you say that so nonchalantly. Like, I do think it's a really big deal that they've provided yes. several alternatives to drift travel. Well, yeah, True. considering
1: we spent all of season one, like, chasing down the one thing that was the alternate to drift travel. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it turns out there's lots of different ones, you know. So, okay. The hell drive. That sounds crazy. What is it?
2: Yeah. So it's, uh, was created by the Ismodians and, uh, the church of Ismodius constructs each hell drive individually, specifically for the ship that it's going to go on to. Right. But instead of using the drift to travel, it basically, well, not basically, it literally pops you into hell.
1: <laughs> and then, the pops out,
2: right back into the, the material plane, uh, at, the, at your destination,
1: just a, just a short trip through hell,
0: yeah, <laughs> right. But, well, uh, as know, weird as that sounds, so many of the alternate forms of travel, the interstellar drives and stuff like that are kind of planar based so like if you're not going through the drift like you may, may go through a, like a fay type plane or, or something like that and mm-hmm. I think that's really neat but it means that if you for you to be able to have these kinds of drives you got to be in the know you gotta you, you got to know somebody these are very niche modes of travel
2: absolutely and on that note uh, the hell drives run on quote fuel condensed from damned souls. Oh my god. Jesus dude. Christ, dude. <laughs> and the user's soul is pledged to become fuel for the next generation of hell drives. Oh wow. <laughs> it's so messed up. Wow, dude. <laughs>
0: you got to make a pact with your fucking starship, essentially, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh my god. That
0: that just opens up so many cans of worms for me. Like now I'm thinking of like a a Pathfinder warlock who is pledged to <laughs> to his starship as his like demon pact or deity or whatever. Man, there's
1: so many things that you could do with that, like, and especially since we're playing a horror campaign, don't think I wasn't tempted when I saw a hell drive to uh throw that at you at Signal and Screams. But
2: still have time,
0: (laughs) that's true. But you know, now we'll know what's going on with it. Oh, god, no, please, not Terry. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you corrupt Terry, no, no, Terry. So speaking of the interstellar drives, one that I I don't mean to cut you off. If you have a couple more you want to highlight for us, one that I was really interested in because I did get to read a little bit. I didn't get to read every one of them, but I got to read three or four of them just to check out how these things worked. And my favorite was the Constellation Orrery, (laughs) Uh, which is funny because that sounds like Oren, who is a follower of Ebra and the Constellation Orrery is ebra's drive it literally uses it literally uses constellations and the fact that if you go to different planets and different locations in the galaxy the constellations change so it basically makes this weird kind of map of the cosmos that to me reminded me like in, in philosophy of the perfect forms of creatures right so there's Mm -hmm. it's not like an actual physical map it's a map of the forms of the constellations and how they're patterned all over the galaxy but they it allows you to basically hop from one location to another based on the constellations around it and and I, i certainly there's i could have described that more concisely but it's so heady and so interesting as a but, yeah. concept for how to like perceive yourself in time and space and how to travel through it.
1: The Church of Ebra is the sole known purveyor of Constellation orry drives. Yep. Right. But whether the drive's origin lies in the gap or before it is just another cosmic mystery for the faithful to decipher.
2: Yeah. And yeah. looking through this, it looks like almost like a a series of like, think like a subway map or a train map or something like that. Uh, like there are different stations and changing lines to be able to, to mm-hmm. navigate from one place to another, all following the stars. That's right. really cool.
0: Well, well, and what constitutes a station for the constellation Ori is a star that is in multiple different constellations. So if a single star, like in Orion's belt is also on the other side of the galaxy, a part of another constellation, because it is a focus point of two or three different constellations, that makes it a switching point or a way station. That's mm. bizarre.
1: So cool. It's awesome. So many ideas.
0: It's I, know, crazy. I know. It's crazy. You do like, a whole fucking ebraic campaign, dude. I know. Oh, like,
1: yeah. like, you know, there's only 20 levels. What are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay,
0: so we're we're gonna get off course so fast. So Josh, what what uh what else is going on with you? Uh, uh, so we we did the Interstellar mm-hmm. drives. Um, did you have any more of those that that stuck out to you that you wanted to mention yeah, to us? Yeah,
2: the Chaos Drive.
0: Oh, <laughs> great. Oh, god.
2: <laughs> uh, so it taps in quote tap into the volatile energies of the Roiling Maelstrom. Um, oh
1: that, yeah, that sounds safe.
2: Yeah, super safe. And that it seems to be—I don't remember what it was called—but in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, it's basically that
1: where. Oh, the probability drive. That yeah yeah the probability yeah, yeah. drive to where where
0: she goes Was it the improbability drive? Is it maybe in, in Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide?
1: Yeah, that would make more sense. Yeah, um, but uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> apparently, uh, crews and passengers can be impacted as well with pilots finding that their flight controls now monitor power core performance instead, or captains discovering that they must encourage or cajole their ship's weapons to fire in combat.
0: <laughs> You've <gotta laughs> so like- like
1: you got to like... So it's you got the the android, the paranoid android from Hitchhiker's Guide built into... <laughs> he mm-hmm. just shows up like, why should I fire this weapon again? Exactly. Well,
0: but... Th- that lends itself to a certain degree of silliness, but I think also that would be something that would tie so well into like the beginning of a horror campaign, the onset of, of a horror campaign, where mm-hmm. like you're flying along normally in your ship, uh, or a stolen ship that you don't know operates on a chaos drive, and all of a sudden the pilot station turns into the gunnery, and he's well, like, it's like, what the fuck, I'm not piloting anymore, I don't it's know what to do. more than that.
2: The entire interior of the ship can change.
1: Yeah, like it like could turn into like a everything. bio ship. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's like just a bunch of tentacles and pods and stuff. And <laughs> right.
0: Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> right. Perfect nightmare fuel.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. That's cool stuff, man. Dude, like, we're starting off hot ca- already. Yeah, dude. There's so many campaigns just in the drives alone. Just yeah. like telling the story of how that would affect somebody. You know, that's you, great. Well, I mean, there's like security too, right? In building starships. I figure you'd be into that.
2: Yeah. And uh, we'll get to that.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> um, Got to roll a check. Hold on. <laughs> roll that computer's check real quick. What's no, what, the
2: 13? Uh, next thing I was wanting to move to, though, was a couple of new armor types. So oh, okay. instead of just having, you know, hull points and shields, uh, you've got uh, basically layered armor, or I think I'm saying this right, ablative armor um it's made to just you know slap extra pieces of armor or extra thickness to a hull uh essentially works like temporary hp or temp yeah
1: temporary oh, okay you're just putting like junk all over your hull yeah to- that it, did, goblins, it, it yeah.
0: did make me think yeah. goblin for sure yeah. mm-hmm. but i'm sure like that's the thing though is like i feel like that's our immediate thought like our, our mental connection but like I'm sure there's lots of like really legit looking well, ablative armors. Like you just like massive sheets that you slap onto the side sure. of a, a thing because you know you're going into enemy territory. You know, I can imagine the Vesk utilizing that.
1: Yeah. Well, have. like I, my, the example I thought of when I read through that and saw that was actually the Expanse when they, when they were trying to disguise as just like a... a junker, a junker. And so right. they put all that other stuff around it to cover up the the Martian. Yeah, but there's still an
0: elite fucking Martian ship. They yeah, just slapped I mean, slap that, some tankers on it.
1: But then the, I mean, didn't they get in a fight and have all that stuff like blasted off, you know? That's just like the the image at least I have of that of of the just a ship being covered up, you know, one way or other, either either for stealth and extra defense or f- for like yeah, you know. Vest going in for an invasion or something like that, like against the swarm, you know, just put a bunch of as much layer between you and and that as possible, you know. Yep.
2: But uh, that being said, if parts of it start getting knocked off, because it has to be installed, well, it doesn't have to be, but you'd probably want to have it uh, installed equally. Otherwise, you start getting negatives to your piloting modifiers and right. stuff like that because the ship's not balanced, Right. Right.
0: Oh. Well, I can also imagine with that it kind of a like a situation where where say a, a smaller like Vesk fighter ship is designed to have two forms, you know, like the ablative of armor is like its evolution, you know what I'm saying? Like it's normal cruising around form is like smaller, but then you know it goes into a docking bay and has a blade of armor put on every exterior panel of it and now it's uh you know, 50% larger and mm-hmm. is, is a fucking large, like tank, like gunship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
2: because of that lowers the TL. And, uh, if it's super heavy or like medium or heavy, uh, it can increase its turning distance as well. So it makes yeah. it less, less maneuverable.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Uh,
2: we've also got uh, new deflector shields. It's an alternate to the standard shields that just kind of have their own HP pool per, uh, per quadrant. And these instead reduce incoming damage and increases both your AC and TL. So more ah. or less gives you a kind of like DR. Uh, but whenever a quadrant takes hull damage, that DR is in, is decreased by one. So I
0: don't I don't know if I like it more than the one, but it's a neat option. Hmm. Basically, it starts with enhanced AC, and for every hit it takes, it loses AC or TL. So, I
2: believe the AC or T or the AC and TL stay the same, but its uh defense value reduces as that quadrant takes hull damage. Okay, so 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 say say it starts at five, right, and you get hit on the the forward arc, you take hull damage to the forward arc. The next shot that you take would be uh, damage would be reduced by four instead.
0: Oh, so it the, okay? Like you were saying with DR, it's like if you have a rank five or whatever, when you get shot, say you get shot for ten points of damage, five of that doesn't go through, five goes through to your shields, mm-hmm. and then the and next. But, time but then the next on time, only four goes through. Exactly. Oh, dude, I would oh, use the cool. fuck out of that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool.
2: Yeah, and it regenerates outside of combat at one
0: DV per minute. Per minute? Oh, that's good. I was thinking like per day or something. That's cool, though. Just like,
1: just bouncing shit off, dude, you Mm -hmm. know? I like it. Uh, There's fortified
2: hulls that I'm not going to go super deep into, but uh, that can increase a vessel's critical threshold.
0: Oh, that's good. That's always nice. That's nice, yeah. Yeah.
2: As well as uh, reinforced bulkheads uh, that make it to where there's less chance of having catastrophic system damage to, you know, life support and stuff like that.
1: Right. Yeah, like, I like that they have, like, things that interact with the different parts of the game. You know what I mean? Because that's what makes it all kind of start feeling like it connects together. You know, and Starship Combat needs a little bit more of that, I think, for it to, to, like... I think this book, much like the character operations manual for PCs, this book kind of finishes... The mini game of starship combat. Right, it's not by, an
0: addition to; it is a completion of. Right,
1: right. You know, and I guess it's fair to say that this would be like the advanced starship combat. You know, because having all this at your first starship combat would be way overwhelming. You know, yeah. um, so I, I, I I'll say that, but like, just to have all these different types of things that interact with the core mechanics. You know, so if you find yourself really not wanting thresholds to get hit, you have a way to do that. You have a, because that would be a problem that somebody in the world would have tried to come up with a solution for, you know. And I I just like that. It's,
0: yeah. Well, it it increases the gamesmanship of the Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Right. -hmm. And there
2: are a number of things that we've tried to do as a party that's just like, okay, well, how do we make that work? There's nothing written for it, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think the nature of this book. Kind of a little bit to Adam's point is that if you look at it as an advanced starship combat guide to some degree, the thing that this book is going to do and is trying to do, I think, to some degree is encourage your campaigns to have more starship combat and for you to want to have more starship combat and to make the starships Another character in the game and that's that's been i know from from watching a lot of uh you know starfinder wednesdays and stuff like that 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 is one of the kind of primary tenets they had in in starfinder and that's one of the reasons they don't um like do an entire six book campaign on one planet is because what sets starfinder apart for the the game designers is that you have to be constantly going somewhere in your starship because they want your starships involved, and they've they 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 had a rough go of it at first. There was a lot of pushback against starship combat, and now I think will I guess time will tell <clears throat> if they were successful at making it to where people are going to want to engage more with starship, not only combat but travel in general. But yeah, I do think it's yeah. a great tool and a great boost for that. Yeah,
2: well, and you know, facilitating future campaigns that are centered around that. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. I would
0: love, yeah, that's Adam's chapter, Mm, but I would love to to play one eventually. Yeah. So, all right, what's next, Josh? Next are going to be special materials. So, you know,
2: ships normally made from, I don't know, titanium, whatever metals and stuff, real world kind of analogs. Right. These are some materials that can be, you basically spend more build points and can get special effects or. You know, uh, like increased AC or increased uh, TL or.
0: I'm sure there's even some magic ones, right?
2: Yeah, that was actually the one that I was going to uh, highlight here. Uh, It's called Noqual. And it basically makes it to where it deflects magical attacks and absorbs ambient magic, but makes it to where your magic officer has a harder time getting stuff done. So it just oh, kind because, of because
0: like a- because like his magic has to get through that exactly. shielding, right? Exactly. Yeah. wall uh, just-
1: was the stuff that was uh on the ship in Dead Suns on that first ship where all the kata were and they you know Oh, okay. Okay. And there there was that like material that they could basically scavenge um that they sold for like a lot of money or whatever. Yeah. That's uh it's no call. Throw, cool. They're doing a
0: throwback to their own shit. That's awesome. Yeah. Meta. Mm-hmm. That,
1: uh, uh, well, but they're it just can
0: explaining be, what it is. <laughs> but it right. can also be
2: applied to sensors. It's not just limited to the armor as well. Uh, that oh, makes cool. it to where the science officer can use the scan crew action, and if they exceed the uh, the check by five or more, uh, they can choose to learn only one piece of information, and instead, I'm sorry, instead of choosing to learn a piece of information, they can scramble the other ship's sensors. Okay. So, yeah. turning a scan into an offensive thing.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's one thing I do like is, and we'll get to it more in my chapter, is that they've, they've given you a lot more options uh, in Starship Combat, aside from just, like, doing your gunnery checks or doing your magic checks. Like, they're, they're, it's so much more complicated, and there's so many more effects that you can get mm-hmm. from everything in Starship Combat.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. Uh, And talking about more things, I've still got more stuff in the way of expansion bays. Oh, Oh, great, great, great. There are a ton of these, uh, but most relevant, I think, to our podcast would be uh, the combat training facility.
0: Oh, they actually did the thing that
2: I've flavored forever. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But it's a specialized gym in a miniature arena, uh, has holographic targets and, you know, close quarter tactics and self-defense scenarios and stuff that you can run through, which, you know, more or less what we've been doing anyways. Um, Right. But it adds caches of weapons and armor spread throughout the ship to help resist being boarded.
0: Right. Which that being a new mechanic Mm -hmm. is, is very relevant.
1: Well, it gives you boost too, right? If you use the, if you use that expansion bay or the combat training facility, if you use that, like, don't you, um, improve one of the boor- one of the boarding mechanics for yes. your crew. Yeah, that's, it it that's, basically yeah.
2: treats you, and we'll get into this when we get over to Adam's section. But uh, treats them as skilled instead of whatever the lower grade readiness right. is. Another one uh, I just thought this was kind of funny. Uh, I can imagine a ship with a hell drive on it having a corpse recycler that can uh, you can dump bodies into and for have fuel.
0: Have no necrographed UPBs. Oh, shit. Yeah. To make your own necrographs. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude. If you had, like, an evil party or a full, like, uh, undead party or something like that. The Oxians. Yeah, just make a bunch of necrographs. The Oxian pirate campaign. Let's do oh, it. Oh, dude. we?
1: <laughs> we'll have a hell drive in that thing. It'll be fucking dope. Yeah, you can, yeah. Uh,
2: you can also mount a drop pod into uh, an expansion bay now.
1: So,
0: like, okay. have an actual
2: I'll, landing craft.
0: Yeah, I'll get it to drop pods.
2: Uh, What else? Uh, external, like, similar to the pods, uh, you can have external expansion bays now. Or you okay. can just,
1: like, attach them onto your ship. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh,
2: believe at the risk of... It's not written as this, but it would make sense to me that it'd follow the same rules as, you know, take critical damage in a spot, and it wrecks the that expansion bay, but...
1: Well, it would... It does reduce your maneuverability mm-hmm. right for, for every couple ones. I don't yeah, for every how three of it them it reduces your turn three. distance by one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so there is there is some drawback, you know. Yeah. And uh,
2: there's more also more
0: gamesmanship, man. More gamesmanship.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Uh there's also a new ghost drive. Ghost drive. Yeah. Uh it can only it can be on large or smaller ships. And as a crew action during the helm phase, a science officer can activate it. And if successful, the drive becomes active and that starship becomes insubstantial, meaning that it can pass through other targets' hexes or other ships' hexes and not have the opportunity attacks.
0: Yeah, that, you can basically phase through other ships without colliding with them. Mm-hmm.
2: But while it's on, your ship goes slower
0: and has less maneuverability. I didn't, know, I didn't know if the ghost draft thing was going to be literal or not. <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's surprisingly not as much in security. I know you mentioned that earlier, Adam, but that's pretty well fleshed out in the original player's handbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did add an emergency accelerator, which is basically just, we got to get out of here. That when turned on the rest of that round, ship has no shields, can't fire weapons, but when it's, if it's active at the beginning of the next gunnery phase, or sorry, at the end of the next gunnery phase, ship immediately moves a hundred hexes in a straight line.
1: Whoa! Uh, just
2: scoots, just, dude. Boom, dude. Just scoot <laughs> <just,
0: laughs> like, Y'all All shut man. the fuck up. We got a boot scoot and boogie.
1: <laughs> that's yeah, amazing. A hundred
0: hexes is ridiculous. Yeah, that's dude. a lot. That's just leave combat. You know? right. It's it's basically like a tiny
2: warp, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and move on to my favorite thing that I've seen in this book so far, because I want to use it so badly. Okay. It's the consciousness uplink drive.
0: Oh shit. So is, is, is this some like uh, altered carbon type shit? Mm,
2: not so much. It's more, I'm trying to think of a, a show that's done this. I, I know I've seen this before in in sci-fi somewhere, but you basically jack into the computer Of the ship or you connect yourself, your body through a data jack directly to the ship. It's kind of like a matrix type thing, right? Yeah, kind of. But more of a maybe Pacific Rim a little bit, you know, and controlling it through your bodily actions. as your own. Yeah. Okay. But what it does, though, is it allows the person who's interfaced with the ship to divert, fly, use precognition, scan and shoot as a minor action.
0: Whoa, Uh, that's awesome. Yeah.
2: Uh, And if you have a higher tiered uh, data jack, you give circumstance bonuses to those as well. Uh, But the drawback to it is that if the ship takes critical damage and a system becomes glitching, the connected character takes damage equal to the starship's tier or double if the system is malfunctioning or wrecked.
0: Right. That's that's the oh, drawback. Every man. time you describe something cool, now I'm looking for, like, <laughs> but what's the catch? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that damage can be reduced with a successful fortitude save. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's still a trade off. And, you know, there's even more negative uh, trade offs potentially. If critical damage makes a system malfunction or wrecked the feedback disables the part of the user's body that correlates with that system. Unless they pass a fortitude. Save. Oh,
0: my oh God. God. So weird. like if you're fucking
2: yeah. aft gets messed up. Oh no, it's, it's uh, like engines or life
0: support or sensors or what have you. Um, but yeah, if I guess, so uh, I guess I'm curious about what, what corresponds to what? Because is it like your limbs like one like yeah. if yeah, so well, the, if life drop. support happens, can you not breathe? Well like
2: it, it's, it's close because uh, engines would be your legs how you move around, right mm-hmm. uh, life support and power core would be a re, uh, a random vital organ. Oh, oh God God <laughs> Your kidneys shut down just, just shut down <laughs> <laughs> Sensors would be your eyes, and your weapons arrays would be your arms. That's wild, dude. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, so, if you fail a fortitude save when taking damage, it is Pacific Rim, dude. You are yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you fail a fortitude save when that system is malfunctioning or wrecked, you basically roll from the wound critical effect or critical hit effect for that piece, right? Oh, and if it is man. malfunctioning, it lasts for eight hours. If it is wrecked, it's permanent.
0: Yeah, dude. that's dude. when you said wound. I was like, oh god, yeah, oh yeah. god,
2: yeah. Mm. yeah, wow. But I could see you know fell doing that, losing an arm, and then getting a cybernetic. Wound. Oh man, it's so right.
0: it's or so. I, epic. I could see Mike doing it because he's got great fortitude and like doesn't care because it's so badass. You oh. know,
1: it's so epic, dude. Like, Mike it's needs just... a data jack then.
0: Oh, bro, and I, and just to your point of like fell doing it and getting his arm cut off, like let titanium mic get a titanium right arm <laughs> just let that happen please that's yeah, so crazy yeah. I, I, I feel like 90 percent of this episode is just gonna be like that's awesome that's whoa, wild uh, yeah, whoa. Yeah. it's like weldy <laughs> reviewing the book well i mean i feel
1: attacked but it's cool
2: i mean <laughs> i mean weldy literally is reviewing this <laughs> right. All right all right uh either of you ever watch or are aware of the show or the anime uh, Outlaw star
0: only through you saying it, I don't okay. know anything about it. <laughs> well, for those
2: <laughs> who the two of you and those who aren't aren't familiar, uh the ships in that show had arms, like okay, manipulators more or less. yeah, yeah, you can get that now, which oh, makes cool. me excited because yeah, you know, that's a thing I watched when I was growing up, and I just think it's cool as hell, yeah, but uh bring it back around to Terry. I want him to be a legitimate virtual intelligence on our ship because that's a thing that this this book has added and that allows him to actually through a holographic projector be a corporeal hologram oh my god within the ship that can also act as a combatant and a crew member
0: well speaking of uh altered carbon like i mentioned earlier he could be poe exactly
2: you know, he's got his own, he'd have his own stat block, uh, build him the same way that you would an NPC, can upgrade him to different models. I get
1: to make Terry yeah. as an NPC? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Depending on how much, uh, how many build Did points you Did you include you this in, in, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you do have a ship currently in the upgrade chamber right yeah. now on the main show, so.
2: Yeah, this, that's I'm I've got some reworking to do since this book's released.
0: I can't uh, wait to see the, like, bastardization of what Terry is being combined between, like, Terry Lebani, Hulk Hogan, whose first name is actually Terry. Like, all the great Terrys <laughs> that we could <can> combine <laughs> him out of, you know? Uh, 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 Terry Crews.
1: Yeah, right.
2: On top of all this other stuff, they've added in super colossal
0: starships.
1: Oh my god,
0: so yep. much. Yes, they have. And these are, like... Uh, I just I describe them or, or briefly describe them later in my chapter as uh, either world ships or world enders.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they're
2: enormous. Oh, and gosh. again, I'm not going to go into all the the details nitty gritty about them, but they're uh over six miles long. Six miles
1: is that super colossal starships now right. exist. Like, well, and they're they're the-
0: exclusively level twenty, I believe.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're floating cities uh, set for long-range exploration or colonization. Uh, they're referred to as ultra knots. I mean, yeah. it's just so damn cool.
0: Or base ships, mm-hmm. like yeah, right. like like the Adari.
1: Yeah, right, right. That's a base ship. Uh, but yeah, so
2: that that pretty much wraps the uh, <clears throat> the first part of you know all the new stuff for building a
0: starship. Like, there's just so so much. And
2: I'm looking forward to being able to play with it all.
0: That's the thing with these uh, these entire Paizo book reviews. is like you're never going to get to everything and you're still going to run long and mm-hmm. want to talk about it for three hours after you finish recording. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So I will say. That being
1: said, strap in, folks.
0: Right. So we're, we're going to move on to the second chapter, which I'm covering, which is on Starship Combat. Okay, and before we do that, I'm gonna take a couple sips of my delicious Susie B. because I'm gonna need it. Because I'm gonna run fast through right, this shit. Here okay, because <laughs> there's a lot to come.
1: I'll cheers you, virtual Cheer. cheers you. Cheers with a uh, rum and coke. I'm drinking uh, a Newton's Folly cider. It's like my favorite cider these days.
0: Nice. Oh, it's not cidre.
1: Mm mm. That's the Stella. Right. The Stella a toi cidre. Mm -hmm. Or as my
2: my grandfather called Stella Artois.
0: (laughs) Artois? Artois. Right. All right. Chapter two, Starship Combat, the breakdown. So right out of the gate on the chapter for Starship Combat, we have new rules, as you mentioned, for boarding other starships, which I think we all agree is very cool, especially for people wanting to dig into like a pirate-based homebrew or something based out of the diaspora or Eox, you know, like... Uh, all of that pirate stuff is, is so much more viable as a campaign option or a a starship crew option. Uh, So if you want to incorporate boarding ships into your game, there are four ways that this can technically be done. And I said technically for a very good reason. One, you can use uh, what Josh mentioned earlier an anchoring weapon to attach your ship to another ship. And I, I love that you said it straight up. Like you basically just throw out massive chains and, you know, grab another ship mm-hmm. with these chain guns I mean, or whatever. It's
2: one of my favorite things to do in Sea of Thieves. Shoot the uh, tether at another ship and then launch yourself to it. It's so fucking fun.
0: So number two, you could choose instead to just ram the other ship and direct a bo- boarding party to invade. Because now we have fucking rams you can attach to the front of your ships. <laughs> uh, do, you can do that fucking Assassin's Creed Odyssey shit and just like smash into another ship and then uh, send all your people in through the hole that you created in the side of it uh, and that that personally, that's my style <laughs> that's the way that I would want to board ships, create a, a massive I create the toughest goddamn starship anybody's ever seen and just ram <laughs> holes in the side of other people's ships.
1: Anybody's ever seen
0: Right. Number three The third way you can board ships, you could use things called breaching pods, which fly groups toward a target ship, kind of like a tracking weapon. When the breaching pod makes impact, its prow pierces a hole in the target and then allows the party within the breaching pod to board the ship from the pod. So, you just you basically shoot a bullet at the ship that's full of, that has a party inside of it.
2: Yeah. So, like a dropship, more or less, but it's made to shoot at another ship to let. When it's made
0: to pierce the other troops ship. Troops get inside of it. That's fucking cool. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And number four, and this is my favorite a giant starship sized space creature, of which there are some in this book can inject pathogens into a starship, and from what I understand, these pathogens can sort of act like a boarding party. Now, I don't think this is boarding, like, in the traditional sense of what we're thinking of, but it is covered by the rules for boarding, because, like, you could have a giant fucking space squid or something that pierces a ship with its tentacles and sends... Pathogens or little fucking squid monsters onto the 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 ship to board it. Right, right, exactly. Space Kraken that then like launches a bunch of little babies
2: inside. Exactly. Impregnates you with a. a, Yeah,
0: right. I just watched Slither with the Hideous Laughter Crew and like it's very much those kind of vibes.
1: Oh man.
0: So I will say there's a whole set of rules specific to boarding. You have to make a boarding attack which is a D20 plus the boarding party's tier plus the size of the party plus any modifiers from special open crew actions that party members can take. And you compare that to an equally lengthy to describe boarding resistance. And I'm just saying it's number crunchy for my math nerds out there, but I'm not going to get into all the security systems and tactics and what happens with multiple boarding parties and all the minutia of that. But believe me, it's all in there. It's a whole fucking segment, and if I went into all that, we'd be here tomorrow. So does it like... Check it out.
2: Once you've boarded, does it, like, pause Starship Combat? Say if the players
1: yes. are going, it pauses it, Starship it, Combat, and it, then you've I got it on I think it pretty much says that.
0: Boarding pauses Starship Combat, but then the way you go about the boarding, you have a couple of different options. You can either... Use uh, skill checks to try to successfully uh, complete your boarding, or you can choose to just go straight into combat and have your party that boarded go attack the party members on the ship you boarded. So you can kind of do it either way. So it could be combat inception. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could. Uh, okay, so the second section of the chapter on Starship Combat is all about critical effects, particularly in Starship Combat. Considering that in the APA arc, I'm always the gunner as Titanium Mike, I realized when reading this, I have been taking for granted this entire time that I was the only crew member that got any real meaningful effects from rolling a natural 20. Do you guys, Have you guys thought about that? There's not a, a natural 20 effect for anyone but the gunner.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hadn't thought about that until I read this book. And then I was like, right. fucking A.
0: <laughs> but fret no more because the Starship Operations Manual adds a ton of critical effects for every single role you could fill on a Starship in fi- Starfinder. So for the sake of brevity, I'll just give you guys a couple examples that stood out to me. So uh, your pilot stunts, right? It, say you do a pilot stunt called Flyby. You line up your shot perfectly. The gunner gains a plus two circumstance bonus to the gunnery check affected by this stunt. So you roll a natural 20 to light, to, to move your ship into a flyby position. You give your gunner a plus two.
1: Hell yeah. That's awesome, dude.
0: Okay. And then, uh, for your, there's an engineer action, divert, you're familiar with, uh, Josh. So if you divert shields and roll a natural 20, you're now able to efficiently route energy to the shields, doubling the number of shield points restored to 10% of the PCU rating of the Starship's power core. Oh, nice. If this would restore the shields over the max value, these excess shield points remain until the beginning of the next engineering phase, and then you lose them.
2: Okay. So you awesome. get a, okay.
0: you, you get any ex, any excess you get to keep for one round as that's temporary HP. Cool. Yeah. Right. And there are a plethora of these critical effects. Literally every thing that every roll could do now has a natural twenty critical effect. This is a game changer guys. I can't emphasize this enough. The gunner was getting, you know, extra damage off rolling natural 20s, but now your science officer, your magic officer, officer, every action they could your carry out, your captain, every action they could carry out if they natural 20, there's an effect for it. There is a benefit for it. It's and that's so the kind bad. of thing like I think we take for granted because in this kind of TTRPG you just assume natural 20 means you get something special, that has not been the case in Starship Combat yeah. and now
2: it is. Cuz in the past they've just been handled like skill checks more or less that don't right. have a critical yeah. effect. Which
0: which I think uh, again ties to Adam's assessment that uh this is a completion of the rules as opposed to an addition. Like this this brings Starship Combat up to speed to where people kind of wanted it to be you know, from the very beginning and I, you know, I'm not trying to dunk on Paisa or anything, but it takes time with a, a game as expansive and, and huge. And that has to take into account so many things as Starfinder. So yeah. I'm really excited because now the next time we do starship combat, we've got crits for everything. Yeah, Any it's crit that's rolled, there's a new it's effect. Gonna
1: be crazy. It's going to be so much because you're going to have this upgraded ship with all these new options too. It's going right. to be fun.
0: So the third section of Starship Combat Chapter is on Starship Chases, a a new feature that I'm really excited about. This book makes a point to emphasize that the purpose of the rules for Starship Chases is to provide a more cinematic way to tell a story about Starships interacting with one another, as opposed to direct Starship Combat. So the rules for Starship Chases don't take place on a grid at all. It's a lot more theater of the mind, and to me it's a lot more of a mini game. So chases generally take place over six rounds, though a GM can adjust that as they see fit. Each round, an obstacle is presented, and the PCs select a single chase action for their starship and roll a skill check for it. After six rounds, the chase is either a success or a failure, depending on how many successful chase actions were rolled or on how much damage the ship took. So essentially, it's a fun little mini game to spice up an adventure, and it boils down to six or more rounds of the GM setting up obstacles in the party using all of their resources available through their starship rolls to take one action, a single action, to overcome said obstacle. So each obstacle that's presented, only one person can roll the check. So you have to, like, in the moment, decide who's going to be best suited to overcome this obstacle. Which of our crew members can do this the best? Okay. Right. Um, there are tables for the kinds of obstacles that will be presented, and there's a, there's a healthy amount of them. Um, there's environmental effects and starship chase specific skills, as well as suggestions for how to design your own starship chase. Uh, I I know I breezed through that super fast, but I think it's super cool. Like now you have a way to basically, if you want to have that um, pod racer scene you know right. like you you can do or, that
1: or you know like trying to escape a couple of fighters on your tail you know right
0: right instead of just having to turn around and, and shoot them out of the sky
2: right. right or just doing starship combat where i move they move i move they move you yeah know?
0: Right. right well or on the flip side um having someone's trying to get away from you so like somebody you know stole a, a valuable artifact and you have to track it down because it's you know, it's your job or it's it's something that's too dangerous to be in the hands of criminals. Well they're just gonna try to flee the entire time. They're not gonna turn around and fight you, right? Right. So now there's a fun mini game for how to how to make that go about. And I think the fact that it's like six rounds or so is is perfect. Is is sweet and quick, and to the point, and exciting, and, and like they said, cinematic. Like, you want to be describing what this looks like the whole time, because it's much more about the drama and the adventure yeah, than it is about, like, actually playing the much more in-depth game of Starship Combat. hmm mm-hmm.
2: I mean, more or less uh, an analog to the vehicle <laughs> cases that right. were already there. Yes. yes. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. All right, so the next section in Chapter 2 is simply called... Additional starship options, and with this section, I felt like Paizo, they were kind of covering a lot of their bases as far as things that are common in sci-fi, but hadn't yet been specifically addressed in Starfinder as a system. Like, uh, first there's a section on where on a typical ship each type of crew member would likely be located in the case of a disaster or a mutiny or someone boarding your ship, Right. It, it, it just provides you options for, like, in the fiction of this thing, if your ship got boarded by pirates, like, well, you now you need to know exactly where everyone's located, because you can't take for granted that, the like, if you're on a six-day journey, everybody's not just staying in the bridge for that whole six days, right? Right, right, right. So, so that seems like a pretty basic thing, but it's still important to have it as... A guideline and as a rule that mm. like these are the the places most likely for people to be unless they specifically say otherwise, right? Like Mike being in the gym. So probably the coolest thing in this section is that they addressed orbital drops. So like, and I think uh, Josh already brought up dropships earlier. Yep. So you can drop troops or equipment onto the surface of a planet or an asteroid or whatever without doing an obvious flyby. Uh, they added drop pods as a purchasable item that you can use to make orbital drops safer. The personal drop pods are really cool because they are single use armor upgrades that let you just literally yeet yourself down to a planet in your armor. ODST. Like that's, that's literally, you can straight up do that. And there's an awesome picture in the book of a character in this black and red armor diving head first at the ground. Oh, no. Right? I
2: was, so, okay. So I was thinking it was similar to like, the Halo ODST, like a, a pod, but no, it's an actual armor upgrade, no, like no, somebody well, doing like a Halo no, there, jump.
0: Well, no, that's what I'm saying. There are the pods that, that are separate from the uh, the armor upgrade version. Oh, okay. Right? So it's both then. So so there are pods that you can have a couple of people in or whatever, and they, they technically are safer, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but you can install the armor upgrade, which is a single use, and individually yeet yourself off a ship and fly down to uh, or drop down to the surface of a planet. They also added rules and this is important if you're going to be yeeting yourself off a ship to a planet for the actual damage that you would take upon atmospheric reentry. Oh man. <laughs> they actually have the rules for that. The damage that you take from bludgeoning, from falling and the the damage you take from heat. Oh, wow. I, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but it's super neat that it's there. And it's super deadly. Um, <laughs> so that little chunk leads us to the next section of the Starship Combat chapter, which is titled Starships in Atmosphere, which takes into account things like atmospheric friction, uh, weather events you may run into, as well as the effects of toxic atm- atmospheres. And all of that's very cool stuff that prior to this book would have just been flavor or, or like homebrewed rules. Yeah. Right. But not anymore. I love that, like the starship chases, these rules encourage players and GMs to have starship combats, or just more starship interactions, in new and in different ways. Starship combats don't have to be in space. They can be on Akaton or Triaxis, with the last rays of the Burning Mother creeping below the mountains as you fire your laser cannons on an enemy ship fleeing a metropolis. There are just more options and possibilities supported by the rules of the game now. And I, for one, am all about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's something I was wondering about, you know, early
2: on when we were playing is, like, how would you handle atmospheric
0: combat? Because it should happen, you know? Right. Well, and and we had above Nacondas. Remember, we had a combat that was above the mountains in Nacondas. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and all of these rules weren't in place at the time.
1: Yeah, you know, there could have been some, like, fog stuff, you know, some visibility stuff because of the fog. that The the egg fart
0: fog could have been toxic, you know? Right. Could have deteriorated our ship. Well, also, and
1: it's like, I think you can also use those atmospheric atmospheric effects, like, even in non-combat, you know, because we have episodes where we spend the, the RP on the starship, And that could be, like, something that you could introduce in the travel, right? Right. Yeah, like an electric
2: storm or something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, like, that's something that you would have to deal with on the ship as part of the, like, travels and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just a different kind of encounter, you know, that's not necessarily starship combat.
0: Well, lets, and it's more yeah. drama, you know? Yeah. It's the potential for more drama in your adventure. Right. And any way we can spice up a six-day trip in the drift or right. whatever right. 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 Is, is is good for the game, I think. Or a six-day trip through hell. Right. Through hell, yeah. Through just <laughs> hell. Because that's a thing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I've got to say, guys, now we're getting into the good stuff, Okay. I know that the good folks at Paizo, as well as those like me who heard about these next couple of features during PaizoCon online were very excited about. And can I ask for a drum roll please? <laughs> right. Squadron combat and armada combat. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, we we have moved to that phase of Starfinder and I can't be more excited about it. So first let's talk about squadron combat, right? This provides an alternate, uh, an alternative to the tried and true Starfinder system of having the party operate as the crew of a single starship. Instead, you're now offered the option to have each party member pilot individual smaller starships. Now, I know this is going to be a big hit with people like me and Josh who are massive Battlestar Galactica fans. Yeah, dude. Or, or more generally with your Star Wars fans that, that want to see TIE fighters and stuff like that work in tandem. Who, I, you know, between those two fandoms, I can't help but imagine comprise probably a solid 100% of our viewership, <laughs> of our listenership, and probably as high as 98% of Starfinder fans in general. Um, But this system comes with some benefits as well as some drawbacks, right? Compared to a single larger starship crewed by a party working together, squadrons, uh being that they're composed of many smaller starships, obviously give up some firepower, right? Like, you're not going to be able to do as... These, the massive kind of damage off a single shot that you would yeah, I mean, with a, with you're, a larger starship.
2: You're in a fighter, mm-hmm. but that's why you fly in groups, in
0: squadrons. Exactly.
2: You
0: know? uh, and that's why the next comment is, however, <laughs> their ability to move and attack independently allows a squadron a different approach to combat, which emphasizes teamwork and strategy. So obviously the first aspect we have to look at is building a squadron. So there's a whole set of rules for how to do this. But for the sake of brevity, again, we can look at the basics, which are broken into four phases. First, you would conceptualize, meaning you would decide how many starships are in the squadron and which party members are most likely to operate these smaller ships. Then you want to determine the squadron tier and assign starship tiers. The squadron's tier is equal to the average level of the party, so you total the PC's level and divide by the number of PCs. And they've obviously got a very handy table to make this easier. Next, you will build your starships. The PCs design their own ships based on the design rules in the core rulebook. Squadron starships are almost always medium-sized or smaller, and even tiny ships have space for an escape pod. So even even if you are on the tiniest possible starship, you do have an escape, escape pod, so you're not completely screwed if your starship gets blown up.
2: I mean, yeah, man, you gotta have an ejection seat.
0: You know? yeah, exactly. Well, I'd imagine for a tiny starship, that's all it is—an is yeah. ejection sheet, see, or like a little pod that comes out with it, because you know, atmosphere and whatnot, or lack of. And one one thing I do like is that they give you so much flexibility in how to build your your starships, even if you're in a squadron. I think we tend to imagine squadrons, uh, especially if you're a Battlestar Galactica or a Star Wars fan, as all being uniform, as being the exact same version of, of same the models. ship, the same yeah. models, right? Yeah. And that is, they don't require that at all. You can have six or seven completely different ships of, of different sizes from tiny to medium. They can all be different sizes and still work together in a squadron with no, uh, ill effects. That's cool. So I
2: guess that could cover, you know, if you've got, like, a heavy gunship or something that moves slower, you can have a fighter escort or something like that.
0: Exactly. Well, I mean, think of it as just an extension of your party, right? You could have a ship that represents your tank or your your big dick-swinging DPS, and you could have a couple of rogues. More like a
1: Destiny ship type situation, right? Like, in the loading screens of Destiny, everybody's got their different style ships. Yeah.
0: Finally... After you've conceptualized and you've built your uh, starships, your squadron of starships, you can—and this I think this is very cool—you can build an optional squadron headquarters. So basically, you can take some hits to the number of build points you would normally get for a ship of equivalent size to build a headquarters ship that allows all of your squadron ships to dock and have a centralized base.
1: Dude— that's
0: so yeah, good. dude. So, so you won't have all of the amenities that like a epic tracer would have, right? You won't necessarily have your training gym or your hollow suite or whatever, but you'll all be able. You would have enough space to like have everybody their own quarters and everything with all their ships docked into the centralized hub, mm-hmm. and at a moment's notice, like in Battlestar Galactica, go and jump in your fucking ships and go on squadron deca- detail. Yeah, it's dude, so that's awesome. so cool. Yeah, I I think it's fucking ugh. It's like my sci-fi boner. Can, like there's there's only so erect that I can get. You know, like <laughs> you're
1: gonna have to see a doctor after a few more hours. You know?
0: Right, right. Um, squadrons also provide new options for each starship pilot, including more pilot stunts and starship upgrades that emphasize and enhance the teamwork of of the whole thing. Right. So we'll look at a few of those in a minute, but first we'll look at how to address the roles available to squadron pilots and how they function. So at the start of each round of combat, each character declares which role they want to assume for their starship. Now these roles function much as they would on a normal starship, except that each squadron starship pilot assumes all of the starship roles for their ship, with the exception of the captain role. So obviously it being a small single person ship, If you want to do engineering shit, you got to do it. If you want to do gunnery, like, you have to do it. So being that you're in a squad, uh, a squadron of ships, that's part of the gamesmanship. It's like, who is, you know, you want to have a couple people be gunners, uh, in an encounter and then one person be, you know, scanning the enemy ships and one person doing all these other things well, while to, you're flying your ship.
2: To go back to the Battlestar thing, having a Raptor with Viper escorts, you know, basically a science vessel doing all the scans and stuff for the group and then have all the fighters
0: flying around. it. Yeah. So uh, it's it's important that they say with the exception of the captain role. Only one character in the squadron can be the captain, because the captain counts not only as the captain of of his or her own ship, but of all ships in the squadron. So you have a squadron leader. But the squad captain can affect any of the squadron's crew with their captain actions. And they have the option, instead of having their own starship, a squad captain can choose to remain at the headquarters during combat and take all of their actions to coordinate with the rest of the squad and be like a manager. If the squad choose, squad captain chooses to go this route, it limits her ability to take on other roles during combat. So if you have a, a captain who chooses to stay behind at the headquarters, all they can do is captain, right? Right. Now you may be asking, well, why the fuck would you do that instead of just having the option to do all of it? The benefit of being a squad captain from afar is that having less pilots in a squadron increases the tier of... ...of all starships in the squadron. Oh. So if if the captain stays behind and just focuses on captaining... ...every single other ship in the squadron is one tier more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. Okay. So back to the new options provided to squadron pilots. First, you have new stunts. The escort stunt allows you to provide a plus two bonus... ...to an adjacent ally's starship's AC and target lock until the start of your next round, if you succeed a piloting check. On a failed check, your starship moves normally. If you fail by five or more, you actually interfere with the starship's movement, and the allied starship takes a minus two to AC and TL until the next round. So if you try to fucking escort somebody and suck at it, <laughs> you, <laughs> you get in their way.
1: Damn. <laughs> Don't suck at escorting. You right. got one job.
0: Uh, then you have the flank stun option. And, and I think you can kind of suss out what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. But you choose an enemy starship. Your starship moves up to its speed and can turn as normal. If your starship ends the helm phase within five hexes of the char- chosen starship, the next attack against that starship made during that round and originating from an arc not occupied by your ship gains a plus two bonus to its gunnery check. So the cool thing is... Flanking with starships basically means you don't have to be on the opposite side of them. You can be in an adjacent arc. Just be in any different arc. Nice. Within five hexes. So basically, be in an adjacent arc. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you give them a plus two to gunnery. So now you can flank with fucking squadron. Finally, and this is the last of the the bonus options for uh, Starship pilots, you have run interference. You choose one tracking projectile, like a missile. Uh, your starship moves up to its speed and can turn normally if it moves through a hex occupied by the projectile. So you got to go through the actual projectile square, or hex. The starship attempts to interfere with the projectile's tracking system, causing it to veer off course and take a minus four penalty to its next gunnery check to continue moving toward its target. If you succeed at a piling check with a circumstance bonus equal to the TL granted by your starship's defensive countermeasures. I'm sorry, I know that's a mouthful. If you succeed by five or more, you cause the projectile to detonate harmlessly, destroying it. If you fail, your starship moves normally but doesn't penalize the weapon. If you fail by five or more, the tracking projectile immediately attacks you. Oops. Oh, wow. (laughs) Right.
2: So it's like fly in front of a missile to try and distract it, get it to go off target, and if you don't do it right, it can then
0: lock onto you. It can blow blow you up. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's also two minor crew actions added to squadron combat. In the gunnery phase, you can now use Harrying Shot. Nice. Okay. So we know what Harrying Shot is, right? Mm-hmm. You, you help somebody else out. Uh, basically, but Harrying Shot with a starship means that they get to roll their gunnery check twice and take the better result. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then, second is in the engineering phase, you can use Swift Kick to force a failing system to ignore recent damage. Allowing it to treat the system's critical condition as though it were one step less severe.
2: <laughs> I like the, the imagery of that. Yeah. And then you yeah. that, just like, kick your own, the dashboard is not working yet. quite right. And you just, yeah,
0: you just it. Bash the it, out of it. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So that's almost it for squadron combat, other than some systems that can be purchased for squadrons with build points. I'm going to breeze through a few of these, as cool as they are, because there's one in particular I think the community will be really, really, really excited about. So first, there's the data link system. This allows for the rapid exchange of information between squadron members up to 20 hexes away, including the results of scanning an enemy ship. So the data link is kind of the core of of all of these, right? A data link is going to pair with other ones. If you pair the data link with an auto flight module system, the data link allows ships to fly in formation with little to no effort. So one guy can be piloting the whole squadron pretty much uh, that's leaving sweet.
2: everybody yeah. else free to do all the other actions and stuff, and as a group of small
0: ships kind of function like a larger one exactly, yes, that's if cool. paired with the focus fire algorithm system, the data link allows a primary gunner to boost the damage output output of all the secondary gunners in a squadron, so you you pick a gun leader pretty much yeah and if he lands he gives bonuses to other other gunners
2: that's cool I feel like i've said that too many times
0: <laughs> yeah well uh, it's it's the weldy the weldy episode
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> absolutely undeniably the coolest squadron system is the unification matrix either you guys ever watch voltron yep y'all yep Well, now you can live out your Voltron power fantasy by having the Unification Matrix combine all of your ships in a squadron into a huge, fused Voltron starship. How fucking (laughs) cool is that? That's amazing. Like, you can literally, like, fly five or six in formation and then do the, like, Voltron or Power Rangers thing. And for each combat, you can combine once and break apart once. They were very vague on how they represented that. They were like you can combine all your ships into one larger ship. They said nothing at all about shape.
1: Yeah, like I think yeah. the, that's the point is like here's just like the rules to apply to whatever crazy shit you come up with, you know, like Right.
0: But I'm um, said so they intentionally did that. So if you want to turn your your ship into a giant, you know, humanoid looking mech, like you got it.
1: Well, I want to turn My squad into a giant space snail.
0: Space snail? (laughs) You could could do it. Okay, and lastly, I'm sorry. I know this is taking up a lot. I said I was going to zoom through it, and I'm doing my best. Lastly, we have armada combat. And if the possibility of fusing all your fighter ships into a giant Voltron death machine wasn't cool enough for you... The last section of Starship Combat chapter is on Armada combat. That's right, we've finally got rules allowing Starfinder players not only to captain and crew their own Starship and squadron, but an entire fleet of ships within an Armada in giant space battles. So, how does Armada combat work, you may be asking? Basically, an Armada is made up of fleets. Building an Armada starts with building its fleets. In terms of gamesmanship... I kind of think of an armada as a party and the fleets as the members of the party. Just way bigger. (laughs) So there are three different classes of fleets. The capital fleet is a single immense starship with heavy armor and devastating weapons that are slower to maneuver and have a tough time fending off tiny attackers, right? So big boy, big beefy boy. The destroyer fleet is a, a handful of large starships and balances firepower and armor ...with maneuverability and versatility. They use mid-sized weapons and are good at eliminating lots of smaller enemies. Sea (laughs) anemones. The fighter fleet is a dozen or more medium or smaller ships specializing in speed and agility... ...whose numbers can quickly overwhelm targets. When building any of these classes of fleets, you can spend build points on special abilities. And there's a table listing all of these abilities in the book... Some examples are, like, EMP, and electromagnetic pulse, uh, gravity mines, and even super weapons. You're fucking, <laughs> like, Death Star laser. Yeah. So, in Armada Combat, the player characters act as officers who direct their fleets and fill specific roles that in influence encounters with their associated skills, officer bonuses, and special abilities. These roles are roughly equivalent to the roles available to player characters in normal starship combat. There is the Admiral. The Admiral directs the overall flow of combat. Associated skills are Bluff, Diplomacy, and Intimidate. Their Officer Bonus is to Morale Checks. And they can encourage, rally, and taunt. Hmm. So they're kind of your envoy.
2: Your captain of the fleet. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or the Armada, rather.
0: Right. Then there's the Chief Caster, who oversees the mystical rights of the fleet, Associated Skill Mysticism, Uh, The chief caster's officer bonus is to AC against enemy gunnery checks. Okay. So they they boost the whole fleet's AC. Nice. They've got some fun special abilities like conjure, enchant, and precognition. You heard that right, conjure. They can just Mm -hmm. conjure a fucking ship-sized creature. Okay. Um, (laughs) There's the chief engineer who oversees repairs and makes the decisions whether to exceed starship's recommended performance limits. This is uh, like Fell's dream job. Uh Their officer bonus is to shield points, and they can boost or they can repair. The chief technician oversees the fleet's computers and scientists while they hack and scan enemy systems. Their skill is computers. Their officer bonus is to gunnery. And in combat, the chief technician can scan, scramble, or target. And finally, there is the commander, who oversees a fleet directly, ensuring the optimal performance of its crew members. This is the, like, hands-on, actually-talking-to-people guy. Um, and because of that, they have the associated skills of diplomacy, intimidation, or piloting. And grant an officer bonus to all your piloting checks. In combat, they can use the direct action or the dual action. Armada combat functions in many ways like starship combat, just on a larger scale and with new abilities consisting of three phases. It's still engineering, helm and gunnery. However, an added wrinkle when in armada combat is morale. So when a fleet is reduced to half its maximum HP, it must attempt a morale check. If you beat it by five or more, the fleet is emboldened and gets a plus one to all checks until the end of the next round. If you fail by four or less, the fleet is shaken and takes a minus one to all checks until the end of the next round. But if you fail by five or more, the fleet is routed and attempts to flee combat by the safest route possible. Now I thought this was a great mechanic, as terrifying as it is, because a routed fleet can, they can still make attacks, but they have to continue to flee the combat. They make their attacks at a minus two. Un- until they're either successfully rallied by an admiral, an admiral, excuse me, or until they've fled for three rounds, at which point the fleet is disabled. Dang. They can't do shit. Wow. Now, this is the kicker. This is what's absolutely terrifying to me. When a fleet is routed, any allied fleets within two hexes that have half of their HP or fewer remaining must also attempt a morale check with a DC equal to the routed fleet's AC. So one routed ship can potentially set off a chain reaction of moral checks and set up a line of dominoes taking fleet after fleet after fleet out of the fight and disabling them. Wow.
2: I mean, it makes sense, though. I mean, if you've got guys who are just like, we can't do this, we can't win this, where they turn and run, the ones near them are going to be like, oh, they're they're running, running. we should go. Right? We're probably not going to make it.
0: That mechanic is very much like the realistic, uh, like warfare, you know, morale kind of thing. Like if you see enough people saying this is a an unwinnable battle, and and tuck and tail, brave men that you've been fighting next to, uh-huh. that's gonna affect your psyche. It's gonna affect your morale, and that's a devastating mechanic. If you if you roll poorly, two, three, four times in a row, y- you can lose a battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, but, I mean, an Armada-level combat, you imagine it's going to be a pretty dramatic situation. So, you know, to have those kind of stakes kind of helps enforce that, you know?
2: Yeah. I just like the system is actually expanding to that size or to that scale, you know? Mm -hmm. Instead
1: of just being,
2: you know, a small group of, I don't know, uh, explorers or adventurers or what have you, you know, to actually envelop the idea of fleets or, or more than just fleets because the fleets are the the individual units, actual armadas fighting against each other, entire navies more or less Mm -hmm. just that's insane to me. It's wonderful, but it's just so large that I love that that's actually being represented now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It just, as you said, it gives you that ability to expand your story. If it gets there, you know, we're, we're in a setting where, there are starships where there are organized militaries, where there are universe level threats, you know, like,
0: uh, yeah. Or where there are like galaxy wide governments like mm-hmm. the Vesk, you mm-hmm. know, and military yeah, or
2: some, some outside threat, some abomination type things come in and there's, there are thousands of them. Yeah. You know,
0: and everybody rallies together to fight them off. Like that's, that's really cool. Well, and that's to your point, like that's, what i love about this is that it does make it so much bigger because and, and i don't think it's any coincidence that this book came out as um we're just a few months away from the devastation right. arc yeah right yeah. and i guarantee you devastation arc being the first game that goes to level 20 we're getting into this kind of shit yeah. right and i can't wait for it but I like that it, it, it makes it that big and that we're finally... I mean, it's it's been, what, two and a half, three years since Starfinder came yeah. out? And we're just now building to that kind of crescendo. I'm glad we are because it feels like, or has felt like, up until this point, Starfinder has always been about a small, scrappy, plucky band of rebels or out, out outcasts, right? It's never been about major galactic political struggle Mm -hmm. and now it
1: can now it is like now the world is you know uh yeah absolutely i mean it's it's definitely expanded it into a whole well from like
2: tabletop into full-on war gaming
1: yeah like well well absolutely i mean there's large-scale war there's all sorts of different customization to your starship. There's things that you can do outside of combat that's introduced into this with this book. You know, it just completely emboldens the role of the starship in starfinder. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it, it attaches that starship finally full whole to the game, you know, like it's yeah. not just an ancillary thing anymore.
0: Right. Well, and and to just be as basic as we can, like, it makes the game big, Mm -hmm. right? Like, the the benefit of sci-fi is that it's bigger than just a a single planet-based fantasy game that's usually based in just a few countries. Now, like, we kind of finally can get to where, like, oh, it matters that we're hopping between all these different planets and and we can affect things politically and we could we could accidentally trigger a giant war between two galactic navies you know and now there's mechanics for that it's fucking dope yeah it's dope okay we're gonna move on to chapter three and we're gonna be real quick about chapter three because uh chapter three is simply titled starships so, like, well, it's humongous, but it's also not. Well, I feel like
1: this is the chapter that when somebody picks up a book that they're going to go to first. Be-
0: they're immediately going to flip to this the
1: one
2: that has all the pretty pictures.
1: Yeah, it's all the pre-built starships and you get, like, all the good artwork of it. And you just kind of see see all, all, all the work of, of all the nitty gritty that's in the other chapters, you know?
0: Right, exactly. So this chapter and this book in general, rather appropriately, are chock full of amazing new starships, art, and stat blocks. And this chapter actually has art and stat blocks for at least two or three starships at every single tier of starship, from one-third all the way up to the super-colossal, as I said earlier, world ships and world enders at Tier 20. But before you get to all of this amazing new starship art... There's a new feature that I know John was really excited about and that I think is pretty cool, too. And that feature is there's a whole list of new Starship manufacturers, right? And this ties in so much lore that we didn't have prior. And, like, every Starship in the fucking galaxy, unless it was built at home, has a company that potentially made it and that has their own set of lore around it and provides unique perks, To parties who rep those products, right? So that's I think that's very cool. That that's that's such an interesting way to expand lore, not through individuals but through organizations and companies that make the ships. So obviously, so much of this chapter is pictures and stat blocks of, of starships that we're not really going to get into that. Like get the book, get the PDF, whatever. And if, and go and check out all those ships, they're amazing. Yeah. I've got my favorites. I'm sure we all do, but this is not a visual medium. Right. right. right? So to not just completely gloss over this chapter, What I'm going to do is take a minute to read from the Starship Operations Manual about one of these manufacturers to show off how much thought went into the lore surrounding it and to give you guys an example of one of the manufacturer perks. So I wanted to talk about a manufacturer called the Star Hive. Their motto is Standing Against the Swarm. They've got sitters on Akaton and N'Chok, wherever N'Chok is. Uh, they specialize in Sheeran fighting ships, and they have famous models called the Drone Raptor and Vespiar. The Starhive formed about a hundred years after Sheerans first arrived in the Pact Worlds, splitting away from another manufacturer called Hyvonics Industries because of a fundamental difference of philosophy. Many Sheerans feared the Swarm would find its way to the Pact Worlds, and they wanted to be ready for armed resistance. They felt that unarmed starships were fine for merchants and explorers, but that it would take heavy weaponry to stop the swarm. But Hivonex leaders maintained the company's pacifist stance, so a large group of Sheeran employees split off to form Starhive and make battle-ready starships. The first Starhive shipyard was founded on Akaton, though the company almost went under before establishing its own supply chain on the planet. Akatonian businesses always, aren't always friendly to competitors, and existing Starship manufacturers leaned hard on their suppliers not to sell the new company, sell to the new company. A few supply chain managers at Hivonix, sympathetic to Starhive's cause, helped out their former employees with contracts on other planets. This proved more expensive than shopping local, but Starhive was able to get, uh, started and begin building Sheeran battleships. Sixty years later, company leaders began negotiating with the Trox of N'Chak, a Leovar and Moon. Even as devout Hylaxians, the Trox took the threat of the swarm very seriously and agreed on the need for warships capable of fighting it. Starhive added a second location on Unchalk to coordinate with Chalk's engineers on new starship technology. The company eventually expanded beyond warships to freighters and passenger vehicles, starting with the drone MK1, which quickly became Starhive's best-selling ship. Starhive ships are insectile in in appearance, much like Hivonix's, but Starhive designs are immediately recognizable for their aggressive shapes, including heavy shells, stinger-like tails, and frills of spikes. The company is also known for impressive paint jobs using proprietary iridescent paint that mimics an insect's shell. Starhive ensures that no two ships have identical appearance, even in its best-selling lines. Starhive has come under scrutiny lately. Several hyvonic ships have been discovered outfitted with heavy weaponry, and evidence suggests Starhive is responsible for these conversions. Hyvonics is furious at this apparent subversion of its peaceful mission, but Starhive insists it is being framed and is working to prove its innocence before Hyvonics seeks legal recourse. This complicated scheme has all the markings of corporate sabotage, probably masterminded by one of Starhive's Akatonian rivals, such as Sanjavol Spaceflight Systems. Like, how cool is that lore for a manufacturer of starships and how easily could you create a whole fucking campaign based yeah. on that?
1: I mean, there's some of that in Attack of the Swarm. Like,
0: some of that is familiar. Right. You know? Well, and I I picked it because I thought you would appreciate the, the closeness mm-hmm. to Attack of the mm-hmm. Swarm. But, I mean, like, it, it, there are 31 of these manufacturers, and all of them have deep lore like this. That's intense. And, I mean, you could build whole adventures, whole modules, whole campaigns. Yeah. Just based on yeah, that. and Just
2: going through these real quick. One that fell probably has worked on. I'm not going to go into the full background of it, but it's essentially Honda and it's made on <laughs> Verses. the <laughs> ring ring works industries. Uh, their specialty is accessible designs for those
0: who can't otherwise afford Versite level luxury. There you go. <laughs> well, I did notice because of the lore of verses like seven or eight of the manufacturers are based. Yeah. In mm-hmm. That makes yeah. sense. Well, too. You
1: know, they're, they're tech, capital uh, you know tech center of the pack world right you know
0: i i gave you all that lore and and it's super cool but i did want to add the manufacturer's perk right because every or almost all of these there's like six or seven of the base ones that don't have manufacturer perks but most of them do and the starhive manufacturer perk says starhive designers know the importance of sufficient power on a warship starhive starships can install a power core housing for a second power core for only 8 BP instead of 10. that's cool. Eight build points. Hmm. Yeah. So they're little perks that usually have to do with outfitting your ship and saving you a little money or boosting a little power. But every every single one of these, you know, 30-plus manufacturers have their own perks, their own flavor, their own style, and their own lore. Mm -hmm. Like that. This is absolutely not something they had to inquire. Yeah, no. It's, you know, like, sure. this is not necessary. But it's welcome. Yes. Yeah, well, it's amazing that they have that level of detail, right? So I know we're going going super long, but we're, we're dude, it's a book. So that's all I wanted to do with Chapter 3, although there is 10 times that amount of information. Nope, uh, at least 31 times that amount of information <laughs> in Chapter 3. Uh, But we're going to move on to uh, let Adam do his thing and tell us about chapter four.
1: Okay, so chapter four is kind of the GM's chapter of the book. Um, And honestly, if you are a GM of Starfinder or interested in GMing Starfinder and, and really are drawn to the starship stuff, I would recommend reading this chapter first before reading the other chapters. Because this entire section of the Starship Operations Manual is dedicated to adventure ideas and encounters. It like basically goes through every stage of Starship related gaming that a GM would have to deal with. So it starts with building a Starship scale creature. Like, so it tells you how to make something that's a creature that's big enough to take on a starship. You know, it gives you all the rules and necessary building parameters to do that and to keep it to keep it balanced and keep it to scale with your party. And then it moves up to talk about space hazards, you know, and, and that kind of goes back to those environmental things, those atmospheric things that we we're talking about. It talks about using those to influence your travel in starship to make to most of this chapter is about expanding the flavor in your game and, in and really bringing a starship into a cinematic experience. And it's not just combat. It's like, anytime you're on a starship, it should get a little bit more Epic because you're on a starship. You know, it's a bigger thing that, that expansion that we're talking about. And, And so, the narrative to all these different ways to increase the narrative. So it starts with creatures that you might encounter and then space hazards, which are kind of a bigger thing and talks about some stellar phenomenon like asteroids and gravity fields and radiation and how those might combine to create like fire asteroids and like all these different things that you can throw in their way that are almost like starship traps, you know, that you have to deal with as a starship. Um, And then it goes on to Designing Starship Encounters, and it talks about, and this is something that we've done for the podcast, I think ourselves, we talked about it before we even started, about we wanted to make the Starship combat episodes as as cinematic as possible, and that's the first paragraph of Designing Starship Encounters, Cinematic Starship Encounters, it's like the first heading there, you know. And, and it says, ideally, you know, that these encounters are cinematic and exciting experiences, but a number of potential pitfalls to running Starship encounters could undermine this goal. So I think what Paizo is doing here is recognizing that some of the rules and the mechanics of the game could easily grind some of that experience to a halt. And it's reminding your GM and giving you tips on how to do this, you know. To keep it exciting, you know, and and one of the things that, that we do that's kind of mentioned and alluded to is that try to describe the action in more than just the numbers on the die. You know, like one thing that we try to do is at the end of each round kind of sum up the round in a cinematic description to say this is kind of what happened, you know. Now we've, we you know we rolled all the dice kind of figured out the numbers and then like this is the result of this this turn of Starship Combat you know and it it talks about doing that it talks about bringing the environment into the storytelling and adding hazards and terrain to space to make the space combat feel a little bit more alive and
0: lived in less kind of empty thing. yeah Right right I think I do think that starting with that is very valuable because as we've mentioned, like Starship Combat kind of caught a lot of backlash, or, or a, a lot of people just not caring about it or caring for it as a, an obstacle to get to the rest of the game when it first came out, and and I do think it's it behooves Paizo to remind people like a big part of that is mentality. It's like you wanting to make it cinematic and you wanting to to engage in it in a way that doesn't view it as something that's in the way of my enjoyment of the rest of the game. Absolutely.
1: Right. And so like, I think this goes back to the completing of starship combat rules with this is like, this is the type of stuff that you know that they wanted to include in the core rule book. You know what I mean? But,
0: but it would have been a 400 page. Book. <laughs> well,
1: you know, I mean, it, at least another 30 pages because most of this chapter is, you know, it's not a whole lot of mechanics you know, it's a lot of GM advice about how they envision starship combat to run, you know, and like how you can take that and elevate it and make it just as fun as the ground combat or non-combat encounters, which a big part of this book is them talking about some non-combat challenges, you know, so navigating through an asteroid field or scanning a ship caught in orbit you know we've done some of that we did that on hacky sack heroes emily did that just kind of naturally you know and then it has like a whole section about injecting excitement into the game enhanced gameplay descriptions create memorable villains on the comms you know like all those things are, are now articulated and laid out for a gm and so if you are are wondering how to approach starship combat this this chapter is so beneficial you know, like, it, it really just kind of lays out the flavor of it, which is so important to making Starship Combat fun. Like, I know that pretty much all of us enjoy doing Starship Combat as a, as a podcast. You know what I mean? Like, despite the idea that Starship Combat can be crunchy and a little drag. But I think we figured right. out a way to make it fun, and a lot of that is reflected here in this chapter, you know, and I would, I like what I'm saying is I agree with all the advice that's laid out here because I think that that really makes a difference in your enjoyment of this more than a mini game, this whole other game that's within Starfinder.
0: Right. Well, and I, I kind of hear, hear what you're saying with to some degree. I think we've done pretty well about trying to, for the most part, make, um, Starship combat engaging and fun and everything, but that's why I still think it it was a good move on their part and, and behooves them to like make a note and and point out that like hey man like Starship Combat is much more than just the rules,
1: right. you know, right? Like don't let the don't let the mechanics get in the way of what the intent of this is supposed to be, you know? What I mean this is so this is supposed to be just as much of a fantasy fulfillment as the rest of the game. It's not meant to be a chore. And this these are the ways that you can make it feel like that. You feel good about doing it. And so, the, you know, that's the big part of designing Starship Encounters, right? Uh, and then it talks about, it, it again, brings the scale up and gives you a couple Starship adventure seeds, which this is really cool. Like, basically, it gives you a one-book adventure nugget that you could extrapolate as a homebrew GM. Like you could just kind of take this idea and then build it out how you want. For example, um, like there's one in there called secure the assets, you know? And so these seeds involve the PCs using their starship or another they've acquired to chase down valuable research. Right. So you basically you're MacGuffin.
0: Yeah. MacGuffin chaser.
1: And it gives you, Several different potential ways to do that, you know? Oh, there's a looming woman. Oh, there's particular schematics that hold the key to something. Or there's starship bandits on the loose. Whatever. It gives you, like, this little outline of how to just do... If you wanted to do a starship-focused adventure. Where you're on the starship most of the time. And, like, this is what you're going to be doing. And then it even takes it a step further. And there's, like, several of those, right? So, there's several seeds Something like 12 different seeds to give you uh, an idea for. And then they talk about some starship campaign, like arcs. Like if you're really wanted to do the Star Trek style campaign where,
0: or the, yeah, Battlestar Galactica, or Battlestar
1: Galactica mm-hmm. where the where your starship is where you're spending prime the most of your time and where most of the drama is, they have entire campaign arcs like laid out for you. Yeah, like separated into like books even, you know, like Lost in the Vast is one, right? So the in this campaign, the PCs are far away from the Pact Worlds and critically, they can't just hop to the nearest drift beacon. That's kind of like the setup and it gives you like big kind of climax moments to build to. You know, there's three... Climax moments within the Lost in the Vast campaign idea. Accidents happen. Just another day in the Vast. Time runs short. Like, just those headings, like.
0: Those those are practically Battlestar Galactica episode titles. I mean,
2: Red Stars at Night? Tell me that's not a BSG episode title. Right, right, (laughs) right.
1: You know, the infiltration race, down on their luck, invasion, you know, like full campaign arc nuggets that you can just extrapolate into your whole whole own homebrew, that and this is why I think it's important that you read this chapter first, because you read this and get the nugget of your concept, and then when you start going to reading the mechanics, you're like, oh, this I'm going to use this to do this, and like it'll all come together for you. Like the combination of having this GM section in the same book as all these new rules is really awesome because it puts it through a lens of like everything that's in this book, every rule that's in this book is an idea for an adventure. You know, like it's cool enough to be like, Ooh, I could center some story around that. You know, we could tell a story about that. You know, any of the starships that are designed in here that they give you in chapter three, you know, being able to do squad squadron style stuff, you could build a whole campaign around a squadron.
0: Right. When you could tie in elements like, you could take lore from the manufacturer's right. section to, to build that kind of campaign. Right. That's, that's one thing I think is so cool about it is that they've given you an outline for like, not only how to make adventures, but to make whole campaigns and all the way down to like, it, I know there have been times where like before we started the, the podcast, you and I just ran a starship combat, right? Just to get the rules down. But there's now a way to like, make that a little like one shot or a Starfinder society type adventure. Even if your whole purpose was just to practice starship combat, right? Like you could make it an actual little one Mm -hmm. shot, you know,
2: and give it some, some good flavor instead of just, we're just practicing, you know?
1: I mean, it's given me all sorts of ideas of things that, I could add into Apollo Protection Agency or stuff I could do in future campaigns, you know, like whatever we do after that. Like, there's just so much here, you know, like, and I'm definitely going to suggest that Emily read this chapter for her to give her ideas for Hacky Sack Heroes. It's just, yeah, just
0: so... Considering she's actually doing homebrew, this will be great. It really is. Like, it just,
1: it, it's like, here's how you design... Scenarios to where all these cool things that we're presenting in the rest of the book can be showcased. It's 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 just really great, right. you know, really synergetic.
0: I really hope that this kind of this aspect of the game gets recognized and doesn't get swept under the rug. And, and I can't I can't wait until you know it may take a little while for people to catch on or whatever. But I, if like a year from now there's a new podcast. A uh, new Starfinder podcast that is specifically like the starship combat, like Battlestar Galactica, like we we are on a Star Trek type vessel for the entirety of the campaign and have all the like personal intrigue and political intrigue and stuff all occurring on one like large ship. Like I I would listen to that in a heartbeat, you know, if if well done. I, I and and now there's a way. Now there's a way to do it. <laughs>
1: Uh, All right, well, we still have listener questions to do, Heath. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, This one comes from Old Scratch, Brian. Um, He says, what would the names of your individual starships be, either for your characters or your personal ships?
0: Uh, Mine would either be the Intimidator or (laughs) the toughest goddamn starship anyone's ever seen.
2: (laughs)
1: Oh, man. Uh, man, I don't know. I, You know, I'm, I feel like I'm going to fail you on this question on scratch. But uh, let's just say that my ship will be called Lemonade. Lemonade? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay.
0: Oh, man. It's just a be- just a Beyonce album yeah, title.
1: Well, you, you, you could do way <laughs> worse, you know?
2: Oh, I'd probably, fell would probably name his The Fantastic
0: Counterpart. Okay. Okay. Oh. Okay. And he would be on a fantastic voyage in the Fantastic County. But I'm, no, I'm thinking, like,
2: you know, Datalink hooking into it, and it would be a part, an extension of him, you know, a better extension of him.
1: Uh, yeah. All right. Next question from Little Pink Fox. Mary, fuck, kill. Oh, good This God. is for Josh. Oh, man.
0: We're starting out hot. Octopus,
1: is this- cuttlefish, squid. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> All I can say is you've brought this upon yourself, my
0: friend. So it's, oh,
2: it's fell. It's not me. Okay. So One. for fell, uh, Man. Yes.
0: Yes to all of them. <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect <laughs> wow. answer. Okay.
1: There you go. Um, all right. So an actual Starship combat question here from Commodore. When you imagine Starship combat, do you prefer dogfights like Star Wars or submarine warfare like Star Trek?
2: I'm hundred percent about dogfights. Um, yeah, I grew up playing like World War II flight sims, and the the mm. idea or the the there's a certain air about a dogfight and the kind of chivalry and rules and, and decorum that goes around, you know, a close intimate fight versus largely crude battleships just blasting away at each other. It's a lot more interesting to me to have the you know personal skill versus large crews.
1: What about you, Heath?
0: Uh, With all of the new options that we're going over in the Starship operations manual, like my ideal circumstance is that uh, the easy answer is both. Like I I would love for there to be times when we get to work together in the larger ship and do that kind of Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica type uh, combat, cause I really enjoy those. I love the communication between and the coordination, but I'd also love for there to be chances to like take, take smaller ships out and have a squadron type fight. So I guess essentially I would like for there to be, <laughs> to have the best of both worlds and that we could have a headquarters ship that is competent in and of itself and can also deploy a squadron for a dogfight. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, I, I like the crew. Combat style, personally. I think that's a cool, it's a cool dynamic. Um, But that being said, who doesn't want to take around in a squadron fight? I mean, that's just so, so awesome, you know? Like, uh, but I do, I do like in general, like cruise, cruise starship, you know?
0: Well, especially if you can combine your uh, squadron into a Voltron, you know? Yeah. Why not both?
1: Okay. So, this is a kind of a general question from Tom uh, from 10 Lawn gnomes, otherwise known as Eric. Um, And he asked, how do you approach a string of terrible roles that lead to the party missing out on information? Either I wanted you to have, or you needed to have. And then he asked, would I give them a red herring, but make them work for a real clue. So like, I guess that's directed at me, but I kind of want you to answer it at least on the, you know, when you know that there's some information there, and particularly for you, Josh, because you had a string of bad rolls with uh-huh. the with the app check, you know, how, how do you approach that when that happens? I mean, as a player, it's definitely frustrating, but the best thing to do
2: is, like real life, if, if you, you know, first you don't succeed, try again, and if that doesn't work, find another angle of attack on it. Find another way to to try and find the information because you as a player probably know like there's definitely a thing here that I need to know or that we need to know to, you know, to progress the story, but also trust that the GM will
1: get you there. Heath, do you have any any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I understand I, I you know, at least in the podcast play the like Marshall character. I'm not very um, knowledge based. Uh, and to that end, I guess Titanium Mike, uh, if we have a string of encounters where we know there's some knowledge we need to get and we just keep having bad rolls and can't find it, uh, I think Titanium Mike's strategy is find the most likely person who knows that information and beat it out of them. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, you know,
1: there they, that ties into finding alternate ways to get the information. I think that's good advice. Right. Yeah.
0: It's a strategy, you know.
1: As far as what I would do as a GM, I mean, like, there's a couple different ways. I mean, if it's information that I feel like they absolutely must have, then I don't put it behind a roll. Like, that's just, I'll, I'll try to find a way to to make them not have to roll for it because I My, my thought in just in general about calling for a role is that you should never call for a role that you don't want failure to be an option for or vice versa that you don't want them to succeed. Like you shouldn't call for a role then. You know what I mean? Like,
0: right. I, I think with, and I don't mean to cut you off, but with my little bit of of GMing experience I have, I think it's much harder. When you have a bit of information that it's not essential for them to beat the dungeon or the the whatever mm-hmm. they're going through, but it it gives access to like the coolest feature in the dungeon that is not mm-hmm. necessary, you know, like that's well, what that's really where you sucks. have
1: to decide at some point as a GM, and I think that's you know that happens much later after you've run a few adventures to where it's like there may be whole chunks of the the adventure that they miss and you have, and you decide it. I think at some point that you're okay with that, you know? Cause when, I know when you're, when I was first Jimmy, like for the first three years, you know, even it was like, I wanted you guys to see everything, you know, I wanted to do everything that was in the adventure. Like I, I didn't want there to be a chunk that you missed that I thought was really cool. But like, as I've gone on and and done it more and more, and it's like ah, you know, if if you miss it and it's not like crucial to the adventure, then then you missed it, you know. Like, and that's that's that.
0: I have a tough time with that, but I have to prioritize, like, because I have a hard time separating myself and what I think is cool from what the party might think is cool. So, like, if there's something that they could miss and it's not essential to the game but i think that it is just going to unequivocally improve everyone's enjoyment and interest and intrigue in the dungeon mm-hmm. or scenario or whatever fuck it i'll find a way to get it yeah to, well like know?
1: again i think that's where it goes back to where if it's something you absolutely you as a gm absolutely want in the game certainly don't put it behind a roll i mean you can't you can't account for what the players are going to do you know They might ignore it. They might do whatever they do, but like if it's something that you want or need to happen in the game and you, and you put it up to chance and then you like undermine that chance by not making the dice roll matter, then you, then you take away the value of rolling dice later in the game. You take away their authenticity. You know what I mean? So like, so like, well,
0: you can even harm like the trust, right? That's right, like because you know, if you I know. roll,
1: or you guys roll like a twelve perception in a room, and I'm like, uh, well, you find this data pad that was hidden under the floor. It's like, like man, that was a twelve. Yeah, like you know.
0: Yeah, you, you know, know, you know, didn't roll yeah, like, well, well enough for
1: that, that. You didn't. Um. So then it then it kind of like takes away the meaning of the rolls. So. That's kind of where I land on that. Um, If it's something that really has to happen, I find a story way to where it doesn't require a role, you know? Um, So next we're going to move on to a couple like fast round questions for Josh. Kind of like sets of questions from the same people. Oh boy. So first we're going to start with Robin. Okay. Um, Boxers or briefs? Uh, both. Boxer briefs. Okay. Or a combination uh, of the two, really. Uh, how do you feel about being the only guy allowed in my bachelor- bachelorette party?
0: Absolutely honored. I- I'll tell you, I feel excluded. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, so I asked about that like just as a joke, and she was like, you okay. <laughs> I was like, all right, <laughs> then. I guess that's what's happening.
1: Okay, so then we have Quick run from uh, Bipolar Pop-Tart. First, when is Fell going to get his Fiona counterpart?
2: Oh, man. See, so pets are dangerous in TTRPGs because that gives the GM something to pull on the heartstrings. And I love my cat, and I can't imagine having Fel have a pet and then potentially losing it because he's a fucking adventurer.
1: Next question from Bipolar. When are you going to cosplay as Phil in a banana hammock and a Hawaiian shirt?
2: Okay, so an accurate cosplay of Phil, I'd need to be 17 feet tall, naked, and be able to change my skin? (laughs) That's a lot, and also potential legal problems.
1: I mean, that's not the question, though. (laughs) Okay, so...
0: Yeah, it's when are you going to do it?
1: Well, when are you going to do it as Phil in a banana hammock and a Hawaiian shirt? Uh, probably never, honestly. Oh, too.
2: But the banana hammock is where I draw the line.
0: And now, if you just make the Hawaiian shirt long enough,
2: it <laughs> right. covers up the banana hammock. Yeah, There's no problem And learn to walk on stilts, right?
1: Bi- bipolar is getting shut down left and right here. Well, we're going to end on this last question from, Bi- well, we're not going to end, but the last question from bipolar in this little lightning round is, uh, Josh, why are you so pretty?
2: I was born with it. I don't know.
1: Oh. All <laughs> right. Uh, and then they And then Verdu has a couple quick Josh questions. <laughs> How do you get your mustache to look so fabulous? Uh, I
2: actually use beard balm on it, and I comb it daily, and do not stop messing with it, brushing it, putting it like kind of you know pushing it down. I can't help it.
1: Yep, that's true. And what Disney princess are you? Verdu follows that up with. Oh God! What do you guys think? Because I I've never considered that for myself. Probably Ariel. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, just because of your kind of general world naivety, you know what I mean? It's it's very sweet and innocent. Okay. You know,
2: I'll take it. I'll
0: take yeah, it. I can see that. I'm not well versed enough in Disney princesses to dispute it. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean they're all fairly, you know, awesome badass type. You know, go through these arcs and whatever. And I. I don't know that I would uh, correlate to any of them, but I could see Ariel for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: What is this place? What is this thing? <laughs> let me let me just uh, you know hop into another plane and uh, date this person.
0: <laughs> let me just be your your crab sidekick. Yeah, that that I am just like running around anytime he like does a horrible joke, I just cover it up by going under the sea. On <laughs> that Oh All
1: right. Alright, so then we have a question um an actual question from Bipolar Pop Tart says what do you think would be the first thing to break on a starship, given your vehicular maintenance experience?
2: First thing to break would probably be the computer systems in some form or fashion. Hmm. Either that or It's either that or a hydraulic leak of some sort, like something that that any moving part is likely Mm -hmm. to break.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. Makes sense. Following that up with a question from John himself. John Thomas himself has a question. Favorite plane Uh, and why? C-17 because I work on it. Okay. I could,
2: yeah. <laughs> Are you talking about oh, you an airplane? Mean or, okay, so, a yeah. so favorite airplane is the uh, P-38 Lightning. It's it's such a weird design. The twin tails, single cockpit, twin engine. It's old World War II. Not really fighter, not really bomber. It's not really good at anything, but it looks really <laughs> cool.
0: What's the one that has the shark mouth uh, painted on it? I
2: mean, a lot of them did, Tr- but traditionally? Uh, traditionally, would be modern one would be an A-10, the Warthog. But it's not a shark it has got okay, two so it's a you know, warthog.
0: No, there was one that had the mouth, like an actual mouth. I mean, that was honestly a sides. ton
2: of World War II yeah. planes had those.
0: Okay, I just thought it was like one that particularly right. did.
1: Last question of the night. <laughs> From Metroid Metroidvanias are neither Metroids nor Vanias. Discuss, but you have 30 seconds.
2: First off, I disagree because Metroidvania has become from both Metroid and Castlevania. So Metroid games count as Metroidvanias, Castlevania games, Symphony of the Night, and the DS games count as Vanias. Uh, other ones, they take and borrow from the genre, and they earn the name through being similar to those two games.
1: You did it. You did it in under 30 seconds. Wow, dude. I I'm impressed. Taking inspiration. Yeah. Remind me next, Signal Screams, I'll actually give you an infruit. Uh, inspiration for that
0: hell yeah oh you heard it here folks you hey, heard people. it here next
2: thursday remind me to tell adam to give me an inspiration All
0: right. before the, the session be September
1: 3rd. At what time? uh six o'clock <laughs> you hear it here Oh, 6 a.m. It said 6 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We can do that off air. Uh, that's it for the listener questions today.
0: I've only got uh, one question for you guys, and we can just be brief about it. But now that we've covered most of the book, what got you guys the most excited? What are you looking forward to the most? The one thing. Consciousness, you had to pick
2: one.
1: uplink, drive.
2: I want fell to become a part of the ship.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Uh, integrating a boarding situation
0: into the story okay so um yeah that's about it guys before we get out of here i'd like to first uh thank josh for being on with us today i know it's been a while hope you had a good time i know we went long i had a
2: blast like i'm i'm glad to have been able to be here yes indeed
0: yeah it's it's i mean this book is really exciting uh it's also very crunchy You know, like there's a lot of rules to suss out, but I think it's such a welcome addition to make this universe bigger and feel more lived in and and more realistic, even though it's like a fantasy sci-fi kind of game, right? Absolutely. So before we get out of here, I'd like to give a few thank yous. First, a huge thank you to Paizo for continuing to expand the Starfinder system that we here at STF have come to love so much. This book is awesome, as have have been all of the books that we've gotten prior to this with every single book that comes out I'm more and more proud to be, you know, an advocate for mm-hmm. this system. It just gets more exciting and more rewarding Absolutely. to be involved with, right? Um I'd also like to thank Roll20 as always for for making these STF adventures possible at least for our crew. If it wasn't for Roll20 we wouldn't have been able to do any of this as far as being a podcast also our sponsor norse foundry i'd like to thank those guys uh both for their support and sponsorship and also for the amazing dice that adam and john so kindly bought me for my birthday i got the the fireball set and the dead man's gold set and they're awesome and i have uh, a whole tray full of dice now to roll don't forget that you can use the code STF at checkout for purchases at Norse Foundry's website to get yourself a discount if you want to get some some new dice or a new, you know, dice box or roller or whatever other products they may have to offer. Take advantage of that. Indeed. Truly. All right. That's it, guys. I appreciate both of you being on. Adam, I appreciate your time. I know you've got to do some mm-hmm. storm prep josh i appreciate your time um I, i'm just glad you got to catch a another um episode of tom talks that's not a full book recap no i'm glad know? to be here and you know well happy to come back anytime awesome yeah uh well i think there's only one yep. thing left mm-hmm. guys we'll see you. We'll, we'll see you